2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the camp notes from August 2nd, 2023. Back to practice and notepads today. Back to some of that brother-in-law play we're familiar with in camp. Not as hot today, which is nice. That's a definitely a much cooler day uh, than the mid-90s we've been having. A lot of veterans had the day off today. Uh, some of them still showed up. Uh, they're doing lifting, doing other work in the building, maybe doing going to the classroom uh, sessions. But they showed up actually in uniform to support their teammates on the field without actually participating in a lot of cases. So Ronnie Stanley, Kevin Zeitler, Morgan Moses, um, Pierce, and OBJ were all among those. Um, I didn't notice any others. It's not impossible that there would have been. Marlon Humphrey was uh, in uniform today. Sorry, the offense. Talk a little bit about them. Um, they looked okay throwing the ball around without contact today. I would not say it was their best nor their worst practice. They definitely had some nice long completions. Looked like uh, ball accuracy was very good today. So this is something in past Ravens camps that has been an issue: is that the ball's just all over the place. It's ten yards over the head of the receiver, sometimes caused by the defense, uh, other times not caused by the defense, and and you know, ball's just wild. Uh, all over the place. Not the case at all here. Uh, the, the balls were largely on target, whoever the quarterback was, and uh, a few um, instances where that didn't occur, but largely on target. In terms of participation today, uh, had all the PUP and NFI guys were were not there, um, that's still a significant number of players. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Patrick, uh, Ricard, uh, Rashad Bateman, Andrew Voris is still out, of course. Tyus Bowser, Trayvon Mullen, and Nick Moore. So you have all those guys are still out, um, and you had a couple other guys who had vet days off, uh, but other, other players all uh, showed. The only guy who was not there was David Ajabo, uh, who was notably absent. Uh, might have had some sort of an injury in the previous practice. What did not seem serious. Did not, The hope was he would not be out long, but he was not there today. So he was the the only real notable. Uh, absence of the people. Geno Stone also out. Um, uh, in what John Harbaugh has estimated might be about a week uh, that that he'll miss. So, uh, largely the group is there. The group they expect to be is there. Um, and uh, it was a day where um, the the absence of the vets that I mentioned specifically on the offensive line allowed for some new matchups, some new uh, position shifting uh, to be seen. And we saw some of that, uh, obviously we'll talk about that. The big news in terms of an injury during practice is Rock Yassin left practice with some sort of injury. Um, John Harbaugh did not have an update at the podium, but he said it didn't look too serious. And if you had to predict any particular exact of possible things, it would be John Harbaugh did not have an update and he ha- and, and he said it did not appear to be serious. Uh, almost always that's, uh, that's what you get. Uh, Delshawn Phillips at one point came up limping during practice. He didn't end up leaving. Uh, he had, as we'll get into a little bit later, a fantastic practice made a couple of really big plays. All right. So we're, we're on the wide receiver side of the field. And so watched a few of those drills to, to start off practice. Uh, some interesting stuff that, that goes on. I like to talk about individual drills a little bit, as long as they're not giving away any scheme for the team. I think that's, that's usually fine. Uh, but they do a hard press release drill, uh, where he and assistant really try and jam the wide receiver off the line of scrimmage with the shield pads. Uh, and and wide receiver has to try and work his way through contact, obviously, and and not get disrupted in terms of his route. Uh, they do another uh, drill, a stop-and-go drill, that's uh, generally led by Keith Williams. So they're doing it on both sides of the field, where um, the the receiver uh, – sorry, the, the uh, wide receiver coach, Keith Williams uh, – Kind of drops into a crouch, and then the, the the receivers have to quickly decelerate opposite him and then go again when he stands up. It's kind of a Simon Says uh, routine they're putting on, but it's uh, effective, uh, hopefully, at, at, at training some of those deceleration techniques that are so important to receivers to get separation. Uh, they did a little bit of a rub drill. I asked Harbaugh about this during the, during the questions. Uh, I cannot remember the last time I've seen the Ravens run a rub drill. Now you think around the AFC North and the Steelers, to a lesser extent, the Browns and Bengals run a lot of pick and rub concepts. They run a lot of bunch formation. Um, they try and uh, you know rub and pick free their receivers an awful lot. Honestly, that's not something that's been a huge part of the Roman uh, of the Roman offense scheme. Uh, you know, and and one issue is that bunch formation probably takes you away some from some of the strengths of run game uh you know, run wide receiver blocking in the run game and whatnot. So uh maybe it's, maybe it's, I, I could come up with other reasons why it might be true, but I just say it, it, it was never that big a deal um within the Roman scheme. The last time I remember seeing a big rub play by the Ravens was Jeremy Macklin's touchdown catch in that 20 to nothing win on opening day against the Bengals, which was all the way back in 2017. So it was actually in the pre-Roman era. And, Honestly, just not a lot of it um, since. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying none. Uh, Harbaugh did say they run the drill every year. I don't know if that means they run it every year, you know, once a week or every year, you know, once every two weeks or what it means. But uh, I just can't remember the last time I've seen it. So I haven't been there every day. So that's uh, that that may be just the case. Uh, In terms of the wide receivers, I'd say that Devin Duvernay was a guy who really stood out today as gaining uh, you know more of Lamar's trust, more of a connection, obviously between those two as they uh, threw some good balls. Duvernay was finding space; he was good at back shoulder uh, plays. Uh it, it did a number of things well, I think, in this uh, in this uh, session. One of the other things that Duvernay brings to this team that is in short supply with the other receivers is really good hands. So uh, Duvernay is a uh, is certainly. Um, much better as a hands player than a lot of the receivers that the Ravens have had in recent years where it seemed like they don't even really care if, if the, if the player has a a bad drop rate or not. Um, But he's going to be a guy, I think that, that if he's to build Lamar's trust, he needs to maintain those, those good hands. I think that's one of the things Um, I think it's also possible because, you know, we see a little bit of, of rub practice. If we see some rub routes, Duvernay and Flowers are both fantastic players to get free in space off a pick play. And they're very dangerous after the catch, both of them with their speed. And it just seems like that ought to be a part of the Ravens offense. Harbaugh also had that to say with regard to passing more is that the more you pass, the more you want to have all the tools in the toolkit, not exactly those words that he used, used, but um, in order of having pick and rub routes. So, uh, hopefully, we see a little bit more of that with some of the weapons the Ravens have this year. Um, Nelson Aguilar, a guy who deserves some mention specifically. Now, we're going to get into one-on-one drills and some of the results of that, and that's all wide receivers and and uh, defensive backs uh, making plays against each other. But this is this, I think Nelson Aguilar was an interesting one uh, because in an eleven-on-eleven, he tipped the ball to himself for a touchdown. It was about a 15 yard play, I believe. Uh, and he really looked good today. He's looked good the last couple of times I've been there. And, and it's something that, uh, um, you know, I think maybe he's a bigger part of the offense than I'd originally anticipated. And uh, certainly w- with the absence of Bateman uh, still continuing, I think that there is a pretty good chance that Aguilar is going to be one of the beneficiaries of that in terms of more uh, playing time. Let's talk about the one-on-one drills that I just mentioned because that was, you know, one of the hotly contested things. There's only certain things you can do without pads that can be particularly hotly contested. So they did a little one-on-one drills with the offensive and defensive line. That I, you know, in some ways, I'm I'm sad I didn't take a look at that instead. But the one-on-one drills for the wide receivers and the and the defensive backs, I think showed some real things up. And I'm just going to go through some of the results individually. Makai Polk. Um, out-muscled Caillou Blue Kelly for a ball on a short cross. It was one of these, these cases where he definitely just wanted it more, and he, he bodied up Kelly slightly and uh, and took the ball away from him. Zay Flowers had three matchups with Kayvon Seymour. Now, if I were Kayvon Seymour, Zay Flowers is not the guy I'd be trying to cover. But I guess you kind of high risk, high reward, you want to get in there. So he he covered him once, he got bitten off very sharply on a 15 yard in breaking route where flowers basically left him headed towards the sideline on an in breaking route and huge separation on the play. Easy catch. The crowd, you know, was very excited about that particular uh, catch and, and it looked great, frankly. So Seymour lines up against him again and, the next completion is 20 yards back shoulder on the right sideline. And again, you know, that's a matter of Flowers is selling something different. Seymour didn't have his eyes completely on the football, but always very difficult to stop a back shoulder throw against any receiver and somebody with real quickness to, to uh, you know, to be sudden enough to come back for the ball, whether or not they're throwing you some sort of a move, very, very difficult. Derek Mason, of course, the classic a hitch route runner for the Ravens in terms of a guy who could come back for the football and the ball would be there right on target from Joe Flacco and Mason. And he had a real connection doing that. It's easy to see that that could be something that an athlete like flowers, who is so sudden could do well, even if his route running does not dramatically improve. Now we we've identified that, that for Z flowers improved route running is an enormous possibility of improvement it's it's great to have that in a first round wide receiver that that you know there's still an area of growth available to them um but anyway the back shoulder i don't think i think it will come very natural to zay flowers at the nfl level anyway seymour lined up for him uh, with him on one more rep and he immediately grabbed flowers at the line of scrimmage flowers could not get off the coverage now you know, it's it, it probably was a hold in this particular case because it was fairly egregious. But the entire defense rallied up to to uh, to uh, congratulate Seymour on the rep after that uh, after that third one. So uh, anyway, very good good on him for wanting to face Zay and at least beat him beat him once in terms of that matchup. Arthur Mollett, the uh, newly acquired slot corner, the former Steeler, uh, had a nice recovery play. For an interception and in coverage of Tylon Wallace. Now, this this plays in the middle of the field, about ten yards, right between the hashes. And Mullet appeared behind on the play, and then he accelerated through the point where the catch would have been made, which tells me that the, the catch, the, the ball was probably a little bit behind Wallace, and Wallace had to slow for it. That allowed Mullet to to recover, uh, drive through that spot, and look. Looked like he had terrific speed doing that, but also after he caught the football, taking off and and uh, uh, really has more speed than I thought he did. Anyway, looked very good on that play. Uh, Brandon Stevens was in in coverage of James Prochet on a ball deep down the right sideline. Prochet caught the ball over Stevens, and it's one of the, you know it's kind of like dunking in somebody's face uh, to do this, and obviously the, the the defender does not have the same ability to go after that football that they were during the regular season. So it's not necessarily a win under any circumstances. It's a win under these circumstances. Stevens went to the ground and Prochet after the catch went over and helped him get up. Now that's kind of, you're hitting for the cycle when you do that for a receiver, you go up, you get, you you, you get to the football first, you, you haul it in, you secure it, and then you help the defender up. That's, you know, that's a grand slam right there. So uh, uh nice play by Prochet there. A couple of nice plays from Tariq Black today. So uh, if you want to keep an eye on him or if you happen to be out there at practice yourself, he's number 81. Uh, he beat Jeremy Lucen, uh 30 yards down the left sideline on a play. And then he also went up for a, for a 25-yard catch down that same left sideline um, covered by J- uh, Jalen Armour-Davis. Now, Armour-Davis, he he is not particularly good at finding the ball in the air. And that's a that's a problem with several of the Ravens uh, cornerbacks have this year is they don't they don't have those you know obvious ball skills that they had with Marcus Peters in the past or that you know if they had gotten Emmanuel Forbes how exciting it would be about about his ability to find the football in the air they, they really just clearly don't have that guy this year and, and Armored Davis couldn't find the ball uh, Black also went up for that play and and, and made it again that was about a 25 yard catch down that left sideline Nelson Aguilar beat Ardarius Williams 20 yards uh, uh, downfield with a very physical move. Uh, this is something that, that I think Ardarius Washington's going to have some trouble with. Uh, so far in camp this year, I, I haven't seen a lot from him. So I wonder exactly where he is in the competition for, say, slot corner or even to make the team as a safety uh, potentially. It seems like if I had to handicap it right now, I'd kind of say he's a long shot, but uh, but we'll see how the uh, camp progresses. And in particular, he's been a great preseason performer. So when contact really comes together in those games and the rubber hit the road, we'll see uh, uh, who our Darius Washington is again. Darrell Worley, uh, been playing a lot of safety uh, this year. Obviously, in a one-on-one drills, he was just covering. Uh, Sean Ryan, number 82, uh, at the line of scrimmage, he, he bullied him, just bullied him. And then uh, they attempted a five-yard throw to him between the right hash and numbers, and he knocked it right down. So uh, Daryl Worley using his size and length very effectively in press coverage. Nice to see that, by the way. Nice to see a, a truly well-played press coverage and, and how that could impact things uh, you know, in a real game if you need Daryl Worley to come in on the outside. And like I said, he's been playing a lot of safety this, this summer, uh, but I don't think he's completely out of the Ravens' cornerback plans. I think it may be more a case of they need some additional guys to play safety for a second and third team, and and he's just one of them. Uh, it could also be a versatility thing where they might use Brandon Stevens in the slot, and then they need an additional corner, in which case Worley could be the perfect choice as also a flexible player. So I think that would be a, a uh, uh, or another reason why he's seeing time there. Corey Mayfield, a name we haven't heard a whole lot, uh, but he was the Ravens, I think, fifth-round draft pick, if I had that correct. Uh, he had a pass defense uh, uh, on Prochet uh, as well. And Aguilar finished the drill by beating Humphrey 30 yards down the field on the left sideline. Uh, beautiful toss. Aguilar went up and, and uh, got the football. And uh, Humphrey did not contest him for it. Uh, he was a little bit behind. Uh, obviously, if, if you see defensive backs not contesting the football, they're doing the right thing. You know, risking injuries in the preseason is is uh, not a good thing. And, uh, and nice to see uh, Aguilar make that play anyway. Let's move on. And talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson. Uh, he seemed to have pretty good touch on the ball again. Uh, you know, continues to show some zip on the football. And John Harbaugh was asked about this velocity by eye. I would say is is fairly good, but John Harbaugh was asked about it in the interviews, and he said yes. They they measure velocity in these in these training camp sessions, and he he had also passed the test there. That that uh, the, the the velocity is good, uh, and and is borne out by the numbers they're seeing there. Uh, Lamar did have a very difficult set of situational drills. Uh, it looked like it might have been a two-minute drill, but they didn't have the clock running as they often did. So whatever, it's a situational drill. We'll just we'll just say that of some sort. Um, and the first time on the field, there was a, a run play the first play. The second play, he threw an interception to Marlon Humphrey. Uh, so Marlon's big play of the day for sure. And then the next opportunity, the ones come out again. They, they actually just take the ones off the field at that point and put the twos on if they give the ball away in in that manner. So it's it's something where the ones actually lose reps to the twos because of you know some poor play there. But anyway, they came back on the field uh for a second opportunity. Lamar threw three consecutive incomplete passes, two of which uh were five-yard throws, one to Duvernay, another to, and one to Edwards, and sandwiched between those was a a throwaway that was forced due to pressure. So defense kind of having their way with Lamar in that particular situational drill, even though Lamar looked pretty good. They're just throwing the ball around in the other 11-on-11s and some of the 7-on-7 seven seven that we saw. The offensive line. Okay, so this is where a lot of the changes occurred. So you, you have Stanley out, so McCary is with the ones. Salah and Linderbaum retained their places at left guard and center. Simpson was in at right guard for Zeitler, and Falele in at right tackle for Moses. So a, a considerably different first-team look. Uh, I think it's nice to see both Followed out get some time with the ones at right tackle. So he's facing somebody who's you know, a little bit ahead, even though Jabo was not in the game. And Jabo is not a practice, is one of the players who he would have faced at right tackle. He's been been uh, uh, playing a lot on that side. Either one could, but, but he's the more likely to. Um, and uh, Simpson got an opportunity to play first team right guard in this game. Now Simpson had been... Previously, a second team left guard with those first team reps going to Sala pretty much from OTAs on. Uh, so, Simpson, a fourth year player, um, and Sala, a rookie. Uh, just in terms of some franchise building theory, it's obviously a better choice, all things being equal, to give that job to a rookie rather than a fourth year player because your rookie can do a lot more for you over four years of team control as opposed to your your fourth-year player who you're going to lose in a year. So not only do you do you prefer to give that job to a rookie, you're very heavily financially incented to do so, and you also gain insight into what sort of player he is. So as long as the, the, the move is not uh, irreversible, and I think John Simpson will clearly make this team as, as at least a backup lineman, then you still have the opportunity to change back and let Simpson um, uh, play there for the for the rest of the year at at some point. So it is one of the things that really weighs in Salas advantage is the Ravens current financial uh picture with their cap situation over the next few years uh lends itself to thinking about what cheap opportunities exist and that is the case at both guard so- spots Presumably next year, potentially Andrew Vories at right guard, a monster of a man who had 38 bench reps with an Achilles tear, um, or Achilles tear or ACL, whichever it was. Uh, but but anyway, you know, bench reps without your legs, without one leg, is uh, is pretty darn impressive, and he had 38 of them. Uh, that's uh, you know one place where they could save money. They could also save money at left guard, obviously with Sala, and not trying to go to the market and. Probably drafting or finding another UDFA player as a backup for next year, but the Ravens will be will be hard pressed. Every financial decision they make will need to be looked at closely in order to maintain a competitive team while Lamar is on this this uh, you know cornerstone contract for quarterbacks and, the, and is uh, you know at least uh, until recently the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. I think Her- Herbert might have passed him by a couple of million dollars in total. All right. So the big bombshell was dropped during interviews, and John Harbaugh said, talking about Salah, and the questions. A lot of the questions are about Salah. Uh, if you, if you probably twenty percent of the questions during the interview sessions to all players with Joe D and Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, and John Harbaugh on the stand were relative to Salah. And the big bombshell that was dropped was that next week they have a planned flip, where. Simpson will go to the ones and Sala will start practicing with the twos. So just an opportunity to see a different set of players there. So we'll get a, some better clues, I think, from usage during the preseason games as to as to how these guys may line up during the regular season. Because the order of entry during preseason games, very indicative of how they feel about certain players. So in particular, the guys that keep bubble wrapped that they almost play none in the in the first uh, uh, preseason game or, or or in any of the preseason for that matter, or maybe they play a series, um, those guys are almost certainly starters. So we saw even though Ben Powers started at right guard last year in the preseason, they still were only playing him for one season, series at the beginning. Very strong indication that he was still going to be their starting left guard at that point, based on that. Uh, obviously. The media still making a big story out of the fact that there's a, uh, you know, a left guard competition going on. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we when we get to the uh, interviews. Uh, it was a much lower contact practice uh, in terms of what was going on. The defensive line made a couple good plays. I, I I would say that, but um, they I did not watch the one on one reps with the O.L. and D.L. because I was watching the one on one reps with the-
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently
2: Wide receivers and defensive backs. I think there's generally more interest in that. But uh, but for me personally, I love those OLDL one-on-one reps, and and miss those as kind of a uh, kind of a bummer. Anyway, that's all I have for the offensive line today. Other than what we'll get to in interviews, and there's some there's some interesting tidbits there. Of the running backs, Melvin Gordon had a nice burst on one into L two on one run play. So it was a, first of all, it's probably a fairly well blocked play, and I, I did not watch you know, lineman by lineman, exactly how that hole developed. But uh Gordon took advantage of it, got into level two. Uh He unfortunately did not otherwise have a good day holding to the football. So he had a drop on a short pass to the left. He also had another fumble, which caused a big scramble near the goal line. And had a, I, I thought it might have gotten physical and confrontational, uh, but fortunately it did not. Both sides kind of walked away from it. But the ball was ball was on the ground. A lot of people are scrambling for it, and uh, both offense and defense had a lot of bodies in the melee, looking to come away with that football. So uh, good that they were able to easily get get away from each other without any sort of a fight developing there. Because you know it's hot. Football players are are uh, you know contest things. They uh, are physical, and they often get into fights under these sets of circumstances. I think it's been rare that we haven't seen a couple of pushing and shoving matches uh, in a practice or one at least pushing and shoving match in a practice. And then usually something like that breaks into something a little bit more like a really a harder shove. Somebody gets pushed to the ground. Somebody throws a punch um, at least once or twice per camp, I would say. So this was the main risk of it occurring today and and honestly came up pretty well. I think the 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 Ravens, in particular this year, I'd say more than even in past years, done a very good job of, of taking care of each other, of trying to make sure that, that, that players on the other sides are not getting hurt. Um, and maybe an unscored practice helps with that. And they didn't, did not appear to have the offense versus defense scoreboard going today, which is, is something that, that creates an additional competitive fire that, uh, that, that can lead to some, some bad things. Some good things also, but, but sometimes some bad things in terms of that physical conflict. Anthony Brown, uh, you know, obviously he's not getting a ton of reps at this point, but uh he ran through a gaping space in the defense for a touchdown. They just they left him alone. He just said, Oh, I'm running for a touchdown. Uh it was on a bonsai field goal drill. So, you know, they, they had to get Tucker on the field to to kick a field goal as quickly as possible. And they weren't really looking for Brown to to, to run a touchdown. They were looking for some sort of pass play. And uh, you know, that's just the way it worked out. Moving over to the defense, um, Delshawn Phillips was the star defender of the day. Uh, he knocked a ball free from um, Mason along the—I always have to call it the left or the right sideline here—but I think this was on the right sideline from the offense's point of view. Uh, it was—it was the play was nearly over, and, and uh, it looked like a short completion, and he knocked it free from Mason. So nice play there. And then he intercepted a five-yard pass right in the middle of the field in seven on sevens. Seven seven is not a not an easy place to get interceptions. The offense pretty much has their way with the defense. Obviously, the rules of physicality don't allow for the defense to go hammer the ball free with their with their arms the way Marlon Humphrey would tend to do in an actual game. Uh, and you you just have to kind of play off and safe. And so the offense kind of has to make a little bit of a mistake, or the defense really has to make an outstanding play for for uh, uh, and, and sometimes both. Uh, for there to be an interception that occurs. But uh, he had a nice interception, about five yards right in the middle of the field. Later in the practice, he came up limping. So he was uh, one of the guys who, um, uh, Rocky Sin obviously left practice, but uh, but uh, Delshawn Phillips uh, came up limping and he returned to practice. He walked over the sideline kind of gingerly and then seemed to kind of work it out over there, whether it might have been a cramp or or whatever else it might have been, just a little turned ankle or something and, and uh, got back on the field and he was out there again. I mentioned Arthur Mullen had an interception earlier. I talked a little bit about that and some of the, the recovery speed he seemed to demonstrate on that play. He also had a pass defense on a play in 7-on-7 seven seven where everybody seemed to give up. So anyway, you, you got just a, a you know lazy kind of a rollout, and everybody's run their route, and maybe they don't know what to do next. Of course, the, the Ravens have a scrambling quarterback who likes to work with extended plays, so for Arthur Mollett to get a nice, easy pass defense on such a play, not a very good look for the offense. The offense, I hope they, you know, the wide receiver room, they're going to be looking at that play and saying, you know what? We got to get it together, guys. You, you, we need to keep running routes to keep trying to make space for Lamar to throw us a pass. And that's how you build trust with Lamar. So, you know, the guy who could do that, you know, they're, they'll probably have a extra chance to get a ball from Lamar at a, at a future date. So anyway, uh, not a great look for the offense on that particular play, but a good play by Mollett. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis, in addition to getting beat for, for a, uh, a play where he couldn't find the ball, uh, he was flagged for a DPI on a long pass to Aguilar, 35-yard play down the right sideline. Looked like a Torrey Smith-style drawn DPI, and Torrey Smith was known for really outracing the defender by so much that when Flacco threw up a mildly underthrown ball, the defensive back would just crash through uh, uh, Torrey Smith and, and create some of the longest DPIs we'd see in the entire NFL. In fact, one year, and I think it was might have been Smith's rookie year, might have been 2012, he had the three longest DPI draw, DPIs drawn in the entire NFL that year, 50, 50, and 60 yards. By the way, tell me how you get a 60-yard DPI. What routes are... Made to hit a receiver that's sixty yard downfield as opposed to say forty two to forty five kind of thing, which is, a, is which is normal. But anyway, sixty yard DPI uh, uh, that year. So anyway, Jad, same thing here. Ran right through Aguilar. Flag was thrown, and uh, and Jad's having a tough camp. Uh, I'm not. I, I'm in, in terms of what I've seen. I haven't seen a lot to say he's moving way up the j- depth chart, and the Ravens really need to figure that out because it ain't Trayvon Mullen. They've got Daryl Worley playing at, at safety. Uh, I haven't seen much of Caillou Blue Kelly. So they really need to figure out who they have at cornerback. And honestly, I think they probably need to go out and find another cornerback on the market given uh, what they have in house right now. Would not surprise me if that'll happen. Potentially at the end of camp. I was talking to a uh, Commanders uh, reporter today. He said that he thought the Commanders were really uh, have an overflow of talent at corner now there'll be a lot of teams that need corners at the end of camp but that might may be a place where the ravens have to consider a trade and you know the ravens have some uh, uh extra depth uh at a, at a couple different positions um but uh, but the cornerback is definitely a place where they would uh, need to acquire somebody in particular inside linebacker for the ravens maybe a maybe a place where they have a player to trade uh, who else we got? Rashad Nichols had a pass defense at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Travis Jones had another just a few plays later. So good to see them getting their paws up and and getting it well timed and uh, and whatnot. Then they finished practice with the mob loose ball drill, where groups try to separate the ball carried by one player. It's kind of it used to be kind of a, a kind of a running through a gauntlet thing. Um, uh, it's, I heard it referred to as the slip and slide drill where you got the, and that may have been a case of, uh, it was done in a, in a blocking pit before that might've made the footing more difficult for the, for the runner. Uh, but anyway, we, the, uh, uh, offensive line went against the defense and the tight ends and running backs once it got aligned back from the defensive backs went against uh, the wide receivers. I didn't see anybody lose the football today. But uh, but I wasn't watching every single rep because they're split into three different groups uh, while they're doing that. It's obviously a drill the players really enjoy. And there's a lot of shouting if somebody ever does drop the ball. And again, I, I, I might have heard it if it had happened today. Uh, certainly in the past, I have heard it. And, and it's uh, a lot of catcalls uh, when a player drops the ball. I'll we'll talk a little bit about the interviews here. John Harbaugh uh, spoke to a visit by Jerry Rossberg, who was out there on the field, a very recognizable countenance there, the formal special teams coach uh, who did some active one-on-one coaching. So you bring a guy in. And, and what this reminds me of is the Jets um, uh, hard knocks from a few years ago where they brought Joe Namath in. And, you know, they're actually liking a couple of things that Joe Namath is giving them in terms of advice but the advice doesn't stop and it keeps going on and on and on and on. And, you know, Joe Namath was invited into the coach's room, at, you know, with the, with the, the legendary status he certainly has with the jets. And, the, they did a very good job of capturing within the show just how much advice he was giving out. It's like like places where you know I think you, you you need to hold your hand under the football when you hold your hands to the side when the when the uh, ball is coming out from under center that's when bad things tend to happen and you, you tend to accumulate some fumbles and so making sure that bottom hand is placed correctly. and he had all these really specific things he wanted to tell them and you could see the rest of the, the rest of the group was like, kind of like sitting back with arms folded listening to him you know and. They did a great job, as I'll say, of capturing on Hard Knocks just how um, it was starting to get to be too much advice from Joe Namath. Well, anyway, Jerry Rosberg, I think a very different situation. A lot of really good one-on-one advice, probably very short and to the point. Um, He is a terse firebrand of a character. He's a firebrand on the field. We'll say, you know... Get back here! We're doing this re- rep. <laughs> We're redoing this rep because Tyus Bowser doesn't know what the hell he's supposed to do. You know, he'd be very specific about the player, and, and he curses up a storm. Sounds like a sailor when he when he's leading a special teams practice. But then you bring him to the microphone, and all of a sudden you have this cere- cerebral professorial person in front of you, and most of the answers you get are these short, quippy um, uh, comebacks that don't leave you really with an answer to your question. The best answer I can give you is I, I I got to ask a question of Rosberg shortly after there had been an error in the placement of a ball in a game against the Jets in 2016. Okay, so there's a block field goal. Block field goal went out of bounds. On such a play, the ball is returned to the spot of the kick, not the spot where the ball goes out of bounds. And I asked Rosberg about it. I said, Rosberg, uh, you know, Jerry, um uh the ball that went out of bounds on the on the block kick shouldn't that have been returned to the original spot of the kick as opposed to that? And, and, and he said um uh that's what the league told us and he's like it gives you nothing to go on and it's one of these things obviously he didn't really want to answer the question he probably didn't want to potentially risk a fine with the league or whatnot but but it was an interesting kind of a a a moment in time in in terms of the typical answer you get from roth uh Bergen, who he is on the field and how different that is from who he is at the podium but anyway entertaining guy and a a very uh uh good coach that i'm sure the ravens are we're happy to have back Now, the next one, I'm not going to go into exactly what was said because I want you to go out and listen to the question and to Harbaugh's response, get the tenor of his voice and whatnot. But he was asked, when does Dobbins' absence start to become a concern? And I can tell you kind of in general what he said, and I'll try and paraphrase it, but I think really you want to listen to exactly what he said to get what's going on there. You You may pick up some subtext yourself, But he said that he didn't know, but at some point it does. And that he talked to him last night. He says they talk often. um, But the fact that he's not here at some point, it's, it's, you know, it's there's things he has to learn how to do in the offense and, and, you know, they're, they'll fall behind anyway, go out and listen to the thing. I think it's more important, you know, what subtext you'll pick up from that interview than what I can tell you about exactly what words were said. And, and um there is a saltiness that has shown up in some of Harbaugh's other comments, whether he knows it or not. So for instance, Patrick Queen was on the stand the other day and and he was asked uh, or uh, sorry, Harbaugh was asked about Patrick Queen prior to, to, to uh, Queen going to the stand. And he said uh, he thought he'd done a good job and not let it the, let the contract affect or his unhappiness with not getting his option picked up or a contract. Um, heard his play on the field, like some other players, uh, can let happen kind of thing. And, and without, whether he intended it or not as a backhanded slap to JK Dobbins, it is. It's if you're JK Dobbins and you're listening to that, it's the only way you can take that is he's talking about me, isn't he? And honestly, at this point, I think, you know, obviously Harbo fairly frustrated with this situation in terms of, of, uh, JK not being there. And I think he's doing about as good a job as he can. In not letting that saltiness come out with every comment he makes, but I'll ask you: go listen to the interview, see what subtext you pick up on it, and you know, send me a note on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you in terms of of you know, here's what I heard, and 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 tell me what that is. And then Harbaugh, of course, dropped the bomb with his last uh, comment: was that Simpson will be moving back to play with the ones next week. Had a lot of praise for Sala in terms of of what he'd done. Um, and one-on-one blocking, uh, pass blocking drills had gone well. And, uh, uh he said that, you know, just want to, we had planned this flip. So I, I guess it's going to be solid for the rest of this week. And then next week it'll be Simpson with the ones. And, um, this might be one of those cases where Simpson getting the second opportunity to be with the ones might actually be in a better position, uh, to do well. So we'll see how that goes in terms of the preseason games as well, where I think it'll be critical that each of them kind of gets an opportunity, uh, to play, uh, with better offensive linemen, it's easy to look bad when the when the offensive linemen next to you are, are also bad. Um, so the Ravens uh, are going to want to probably uh, let each of them get some time with the best offensive line that that they can. Joe dallas came to the came to the stand next. Uh, lots of praise for Sala and his work ethic. Lots of praise for Linderbaum. uh Says he has in- increased confidence and. One of the interesting questions I thought was that that he thinks so, uh, that uh, Linderbaum will have more responsibility for pre-snap calls if the Ravens have more audibles. So good question, by the way. I forgot, I, I missed who exactly uh, asked it, but very good question in terms of uh, you know what Linderbaum's responsibilities uh, become if Lamar becomes a fairly regularly regular audibler. Uh, he said, one thing Dallas Sanders made a very strong point about was that the blocking schemes have not changed much with Mankin. Uh He said he and Roman saw things very similarly in terms of the right way to block plays and um, uh, the right way to play offensive line. And I thought that was a very interesting comment. And it, I'm sure it means that Monken does not really see the need for the change because otherwise you're really going against your current offensive coordinator. I think that uh, even if Sanders really felt like Roman understood blocking a hell of a lot better than Munkin did, which, we, by the way, that wouldn't surprise me if that were true at all, um, that uh, uh would probably still not align himself with Roman unless it was already the answer he thought Munkin could live with. So I thought that was an interesting point. Sanders, very down-to-earth guy. Uh, it's, it's very hard not to like him. Uh, I asked him a question about about the way he practices. Uh, He didn't give me what I would call a great answer. He didn't really get into it, but I was really wanted to ask, you know, about half line reps and these old school, you know, one rep at a time, Uh, you know, what value do you get relative to other methods? And he started just going into, that's how I was taught to do it. That's the way I grew up. So I don't know another way, which is all fine. And I'm sure true. I just kind of wanted to understand like, what was his reasoning for doing that as opposed to doing say full line reps um, and getting everybody involved, as opposed to everyone watching. So you can learn from either way. I, I certainly respect his way. He's had a fantastic record of developing offensive linemen. So I can't can't disagree with any of that. But uh, but anyway, very very likable character that uh, that I think uh, you know if if you if you saw him speak on offensive line play, you'd you'd, uh, you'd, you'd like that. He was asked what Ben Cleveland does to, to get back in the left guard competition. So we're hearing Sala and Simpson are switching. What about what about Cleveland? Because he's been playing right tackle the whole time. Um says he just needs to play more consistently. There is no other answer for that, folks. I don't think it's obvious that Ben Cleveland's going to get back into the left guard competition at all this camp. I think we may be down to a two-man uh competition here. It could it could change to being a, a different two-man competition with injury, but I think basically we're down to Sala or Simpson is going to have this job. The Ravens would probably love for Sala to have it for the reasons I've given you earlier, um, and for a lot of other reasons, they'd love to have Simpson around as either a backup left guard or potentially even a backup left tackle. He is—he definitely has the length to play left tackle. And so, if if that is something that we see in the preseason, I think you could take some strong portent from that that the Ravens think that's a that's a possibility sometime in twenty twenty three if there are injuries. Ronnie Stanley next to the podium, I'm not going to say speaking of injuries, but Ronnie Stanley next to the podium um, said he really had doubts about ever returning to play well, uh, praised Sala for his effort and smarts, and uh, said also that he thinks he has a chance to help Sala develop a little bit because he plays next to him and they share that relationship at least. Uh, so I think that was a you know a good set of things. Ronnie's kind of an um, uh, introverted uh, person, it looks like, Looks straightforward rather than into the eyes of the questioner a lot of the time, uh, which, which is a, a kind of an introverted way. I think of speaking, if you think about people who, you know, you sit across the table from and they don't necessarily make direct eye contact with you, they, they, there may be a lot of reasons why they, they do exactly that. But, um, but you know, you, you, you kind of, you kind of expect some, some eye contact. And I think that, that in Stanley's case, just, even after all these years, eight years in the league, he's just not all that comfortable at the, at the podium. He's not bad at it by the way, but just, Hey, if, if public speaking is the first overall human fear and public and sorry, and death is number seven, then, you know, we can commiserate with who Ronnie Stanley is here in terms of, of, of still not really being all that comfortable at the podium. Tyler Lindebaum, the last guy at the podium today, uh, Pretty much the answer to every one of his questions was confidence, confidence, and confidence. Uh, you know, what's new about year two? Uh, you know, how do you how do you need to take your game to the next level? All these things. Were, the confidence was the answer to all of them. Uh, he was asked about his angry switch, which I forget if Stanley or Harbaugh had brought it up. I think Stanley must have been the one to bring it up, uh, uh, and. Uh, he he didn't really elaborate on that and, and Ryan Mick tried to try to get him in there and, and, and tee him up with this with uh, did you turn on your angry switch during that Tampa Bay game and you can see the wheels kind of turning in his head he goes, Tampa Bay game Tampa Bay game like he couldn't really remember <laughs> exactly uh, what had happened during that game but anyway he did he, he couldn't really get very far with that and uh, uh, he looks bigger. Uh, I, the, the comment has been made, uh, I saw it from I, I think it might have been Mike Preston, but it was in the Sun anyway uh, talking about additional bulk he, de- he definitely looks bigger. Um, I would say a lot of that is more weight being carried on the frame. I'm not what I am not noticing is that he has much bigger or more well-defined guns at this point. So he's probably a little bigger in the rear end, and maybe in the legs, and definitely in the gut. Um, you know, his strength uh, hopefully will Im- has improved from last year. Honestly, I don't have a great baseline uh, to work on, but but my my feeling is that you know he's certainly bigger than he was last year, and and he hasn't yet moved that all that weight to the right places. But uh, but I'm sure he will as he lifts more during the season and. And as naturally, you uh, you tend to work more during the season, and, and and probably lose a few pounds. If your alignment typically becomes harder to keep that weight on uh, as an offensive lineman. Anyway, that's that's it for notes today uh, on eight two Uh But uh, fun day of practice again, as it always is, and uh, and lots to see. Please hit me up with uh, uh, comments on twitter if you'd like to discuss any component of of uh, what happened in practice i really want to get back into doing more of that and i'll be around the next couple of days to, to to take your questions hopefully uh other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short hit me up there is still time before the regular season starts we have a lot of planned shows in terms of the camp notes the um uh, positional reviews the roster shows will do. There's a lot to do, and all of the, of course, the reviews from the preseason games. But there will still be time to fit in a couple of shorts. And if you want to, uh, just hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Got a great idea for one today that I'm I'm going to follow up on. And uh, I hope you'll you'll uh, feel free to shoot me a DM. I will get right back to you. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.